the modern drama part two of anarchism and other essays by emma goldman this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine the modern drama a powerful disseminator of radical thought part two how could a society machine sown fathom the seething depths whence issued the great masterpiece of henrik ibsen it could not understand and therefore it poured the vials of abuse and venom upon its greatest benefactor that ibsen was not daunted he has proved by his reply in an enemy of the people in that great drama ibsen performs the last funeral rites over a decaying and dying social system out of its ashes rises the regenerated individual the bold and daring rebel dr stockman an idealist full of social sympathy and solidarity is called to his native town as the physician of the baths he soon discovers that the latter are built on a swamp and that instead of finding relief the patients who flock to the place are being poisoned an honest man of strong convictions the doctor considers it his duty to make his discovery known but he soon learns that dividends and profits are concerned neither with health nor principles even the reformers of the town represented in the people's messenger always ready to prate of their devotion to the people withdraw their support from the reckless idealist the moment they learn that the doctor's discovery may bring the town into disrepute and thus injure their pockets but dr stockman continues in the faith he entertains for his townsmen they would hear him but here too he soon finds himself alone he cannot even secure a place to proclaim his great truth and when he finally succeeds he is overwhelmed by abuse and ridicule as the enemy of the people the doctor so enthusiastic of his townspeople's assistance to eradicate the evil is soon driven to a solitary position the announcement of his discovery would result in a pecuniary loss to the town and that consideration induces the officials the good citizens and soul reformers to stifle the voice of truth he finds them all a compact majority unscrupulous enough to be willing to build up the prosperity of the town on a quagmire of lies and fraud he is accused of trying to ruin the community but to his mind it does not matter if a lying community is ruined it must be levelled to the ground all men who live upon lies must be exterminated like vermin you'll bring it to such a pass that the whole country will deserve to perish dr stockman is not a practical politician a free man he thinks must not behave like a blackguard he must not so act that he would spit in his own face for only cowards permit considerations of pretended general welfare or of party to override truth and ideals party programs wring the necks of all young living truths and considerations of expediency turn morality and righteousness upside down until life is simply hideous these plays of ibsen the pillars of society a doll's house ghosts and an enemy of the people constitute a dynamic force which is gradually dissipating the ghosts walking the social burying ground called civilization nay more ibsen's destructive effects are at the same time supremely constructive for he not merely undermines existing pillars indeed he builds with sure strokes the foundation of a healthier ideal future 
based on the sovereignty of the individual within a sympathetic social environment england with her great pioneers of radical thought the intellectual pilgrims like godwin robert owen darwin spencer william morris and scores of others with her wonderful larks of liberty shelley byron keats is another example of the influence of dramatic art within comparatively a few years the dramatic works of shaw pinero galsworthy rand kennedy have carried radical thought to the ears formerly deaf even to great britain's wondrous poets thus a public which will remain indifferent reading an essay by robert owen on poverty or ignore bernard shaw's socialistic tracts was made to think by major barbara wherein poverty is described as the greatest crime of christian civilization poverty makes people weak slavish puny poverty creates disease crime prostitution in fine poverty is responsible for all the ills and evils of the world poverty also necessitates dependency charitable organizations institutions that thrive off the very thing they are trying to destroy the salvation army for instance as shown in major barbara fights drunkenness yet one of its greatest contributors is badger a whisky distiller who furnishes yearly thousands of pounds to do away with the very source of his wealth bernard shaw therefore concludes that the only real benefactor of society is a man like undershaft barbara's father a cannon manufacturer whose theory of life is that powder is stronger than words the worst of crimes says undershaft is poverty all the other crimes are virtues beside it all the other dishonours are chivalry itself by comparison poverty blights whole cities spreads horrible pestilences strikes dead the very soul of all who come within sight sound or smell of it what you call crime is nothing a murder here a theft there a blow now and a curse there what do they matter they are only the accidents and illnesses of life there are not fifty genuine professional criminals in london but there are millions of poor people abject people dirty people ill-fed ill-clothed people they poison us morally and physically they kill the happiness of society they force us to do away with our own liberties and to organize unnatural cruelties for fear they should rise against us and drag us down into their abyss poverty and slavery have stood up for centuries to your sermons and leading articles they will not stand up to my machine-guns don't preach at them don't reason with them kill them it is the final test of conviction the only lever strong enough to overturn a social system vote bah when you vote you only change the name of the cabinet when you shoot you pull down governments inaugurate new epochs abolish old orders and set up new no wonder people cared little to read mr shaw's socialistic tracts in no other way but in the drama could he deliver such forcible historic truths and therefore it is only through the drama that mr shaw is a revolutionary factor in the dissemination of radical ideas after hauptmann's die weber strife by galsworthy is the most important labor drama the theme of strife is a strike with two dominant factors anthony the president of the company rigid uncompromising unwilling to make the slightest concession although the men held out for months and are in a condition of semi-starvation and david roberts an uncompromising revolutionist whose devotion to the working man and the cause of freedom is at white heat 
between them the strikers are worn and weary with the terrible struggle and are harassed and driven by the awful sight of poverty and want in their families the most marvellous and brilliant piece of work in strife is galsworthy's portrayal of the mob its fickleness and lack of backbone one moment they applaud old thomas who speaks of the power of god and religion and admonishes the men against rebellion the next instant they are carried away by a walking delegate who pleads the cause of the union the union that always stands for compromise and which forsakes the workingmen whenever they dare to strike for independent demands again they are aglow with the earnestness the spirit and the intensity of david roberts all these people willing to go in whatever direction the wind blows it is the curse of the working class that they always follow like sheep led to slaughter consistency is the greatest crime of our commercial age no matter how intense the spirit or how important the man the moment he will not allow himself to be used or sell his principles he is thrown on the dust-heap such was the fate of the president of the company anthony and of david roberts to be sure they represented opposite poles poles antagonistic to each other poles divided by a terrible gap that can never be bridged over yet they shared a common fate anthony is the embodiment of conservatism of old ideas of iron methods i have been chairman of this company thirty-two years i have fought the men four times i have never been defeated it has been said that times have changed if they have i have not changed with them it has been said that masters and men are equal can't there can be only one master in a house it has been said that capital and labor have the same interests can't their interests are as wide asunder as the poles there is only one way of treating men with the iron rod masters are masters men are men we may not like this adherence to old reactionary notions and yet there is something admirable in the courage and consistency of this man nor is he half as dangerous to the interests of the oppressed as are sentimental and soft reformers who rob with nine fingers and give libraries with the tenth who grind human beings like russell sage and then spend millions of dollars in social research work who turn beautiful young plants into faded old women and then give them a few paltry dollars or found a home for working girls anthony is a worthy foe and to fight such a foe one must learn to meet him in open battle david roberts has all the mental and moral attributes of his adversary coupled with the spirit of revolt and the depth of modern ideas he too is consistent and wants nothing for his class short of complete victory it is not for this little moment of time we are fighting not for our own little bodies and their warmth it is for all those who come after for all times oh men for the love of them don't turn up another stone on their heads don't help to blacken the sky if we can shake that white-faced monster with the bloody lips that has sucked the lives out of ourselves our wives and children since the world began if we have not the hearts of men to stand against it breast to breast and eye to eye and force it backward till it cry for mercy it will go on sucking life and we shall stay forever where we are less than the very dogs it is inevitable that compromise and petty interest should pass on and leave two such giants behind inevitable until the mass will reach the stature of a david roberts will it ever prophecy is not the vocation of the dramatist yet the moral lesson is evident 
one cannot help realizing that the workingmen will have to use methods hitherto unfamiliar to them that they will have to discard all those elements in their midst that are forever ready to reconcile the irreconcilable namely capital and labor they will have to learn that characters like david roberts are the very forces that have revolutionized the world and thus paved the way for emancipation out of the clutches of that white-faced monster with bloody lips towards a brighter horizon a freer life and a deeper recognition of human values no subject of equal social import has received such extensive consideration within the last few years as the question of prison and punishment hardly any magazine of consequence that has not devoted its columns to the discussion of this vital theme a number of books by able writers both in america and abroad have discussed this topic from the historic psychologic and social standpoint all agreeing that present penal institutions and our mode of coping with crime have in every respect proved inadequate as well as wasteful one would expect that something very radical should result from the cumulative literary indictment of the social crimes perpetrated upon the prisoner yet with the exception of a few minor and comparatively insignificant reforms in some of our prisons absolutely nothing has been accomplished but at last this grave social wrong has found dramatic interpretation in galsworthy's justice the play opens in the office of james howe and sons solicitors the senior clerk robert Cokeson, discovers that a cheque he had issued for nine pounds has been forged to ninety by elimination suspicion falls upon william folder the junior office clerk the latter is in love with a married woman the abused ill-treated wife of a brutal drunkard pressed by his employer a severe yet not unkindly man folder confesses the forgery pleading the dire necessity of his sweetheart ruth honeywell with whom he had planned to escape to save her from the unbearable brutality of her husband notwithstanding the entreaties of young walter who is touched by modern ideas his father a moral and law-respecting citizen turns folder over to the police the second act in the courtroom shows justice in the very process of manufacture the scene equals in dramatic power and psychologic verity the great court scene in resurrection young folder a nervous and rather weakly youth of twenty-three stands before the bar ruth his married sweetheart full of love and devotion burns with anxiety to save the young man whose affection brought about his present predicament the young man is defended by lawyer frome whose speech to the jury is a masterpiece of deep social philosophy wreathed with the tendrils of human understanding and sympathy he does not attempt to dispute the mere fact of folder having altered the cheque and though he pleads temporary aberration in defence of his client that plea is based upon a social consciousness as deep and all-embracing as the roots of our social ills the background of life that palpitating life which always lies behind the commission of a crime he shows folder to have faced the alternative of seeing the beloved woman murdered by her brutal husband whom she cannot divorce or of taking the law into his own hands the defence pleads with the jury not to turn the weak young man into a criminal by condemning him to prison for justice is a machine that when someone has given it a starting push rolls on of itself is this young man to be ground to pieces under this machine 
for an act which at the worst was one of weakness is he to become a member of the luckless crews that man those dark ill-starred ships called prisons i urge you gentlemen do not ruin this young man for as a result of those four minutes ruin utter and irretrievable stares him in the face the rolling of the chariot wheels of justice over this boy began when it was decided to prosecute him but the chariot of justice rolls mercilessly on for as the learned judge says the law is what it is a majestic edifice sheltering all of us each stone of which rests on another Falder is sentenced to three years penal servitude in prison the young inexperienced convict soon finds himself the victim of the terrible system the authorities admit that young folder is mentally and physically in bad shape but nothing can be done in the matter many others are in a similar position and the quarters are inadequate the third scene of the third act is heart-gripping in its silent force the whole scene is a pantomime taking place in folder's prison cell in fast-falling daylight folder in his stockings is seen standing motionless with his head inclined towards the door listening he moves a little closer to the door his stocking feet making no noise he stops at the door he is trying harder and harder to hear something any little thing that is going on outside he springs suddenly upright as if at a sound and remains perfectly motionless then with a heavy sigh he moves to his work and stands looking at it with his head down he does a stitch or two having the air of a man so lost in sadness that each stitch is as it were a coming to life then turning abruptly he begins pacing his cell moving his head like an animal pacing its cage he stopped again at the door listens and placing the palms of his hands against it with his fingers spread out leans his forehead against the iron turning from it presently he moves slowly back towards the window holding his head as if he felt that it were going to burst and stops under the window but since he cannot see out of it he leaves off looking and picking up the lid of one of the tins peers into it as if trying to make a companion of his own face it has grown very nearly dark suddenly the lid falls out of his hand with a clatter the only sound that has broken the silence and he stands staring intently at the wall where the stuff of the shirt is hanging rather white in the darkness he seems to be seeing somebody or something there there is a sharp tap and click the cell light behind the glass screen has been turned up the cell is brightly lighted folder is seen gasping for breath a sound from far away as of distant dull beating on thick metal is suddenly audible folder shrinks back not able to bear this sudden clamour but the sound grows as though some great tumbril were rolling towards the cell and gradually it seems to hypnotize him he begins creeping inch by inch nearer to the door the banging sound travelling from cell to cell draws closer and closer Baldur's hands are seen moving as if his spirit had already joined in this beating and the sound swells till it seems to have entered the very cell he suddenly raises his clenched fists panting violently he flings himself at his door and beats on it finally Falder leaves the prison a broken ticket of leave man the stamp of the convict upon his brow the iron of misery in his soul thanks to ruth's pleading the firm of james howe and son is willing to take folder back in their employ on condition that he give up ruth 
it is then that falder learns the awful news that the woman he loves had been driven by the merciless economic moloch to sell herself she tried making skirts cheap things i never made more than ten shillings a week buying my own cotton and working all day i hardly ever got to bed till past twelve and then my employer happened he's happened ever since at this terrible psychologic moment the police appeared to drag him back to prison for failing to report himself as ticket of leave man completely overwhelmed by the inexorability of his environment young falter seeks and finds peace greater than human justice by throwing himself down to death as the detectives are taking him back to prison it would be impossible to estimate the effect produced by this play perhaps some conception can be gained from the very unusual circumstance that it had proved so powerful as to induce the home secretary of great britain to undertake extensive prison reforms in england a very encouraging sign this of the influence exerted by the modern drama it is to be hoped that the thundering indictment of mr galsworthy will not remain without similar effect upon the public sentiment and prison conditions of america at any rate it is certain that no other modern play has borne such direct and immediate fruit in wakening the social conscience another modern play the servant in the house strikes a vital key in our social life the hero of mr kennedy's masterpiece is robert a coarse filthy drunkard whom respectable society has repudiated robert the sewer cleaner is the real hero of the play nay its true and only saviour it is he who volunteers to go down into the dangerous sewer so that his comrades can have light and air after all has he not sacrificed his life always so that others may have light and air the thought that labour is the redeemer of social well-being has been cried from the housetops in every tongue and every clime yet the simple words of robert express the significance of labour and its mission with far greater potency america is still in its dramatic infancy most of the attempts along this line to mirror life have been wretched failures still there are hopeful signs in the attitude of the intelligent public toward modern plays even if they be from foreign soil the only real drama america has so far produced is the easiest way by eugene walter it is supposed to represent a peculiar phase of new york life if that were all it would be of minor significance that which gives the play its real importance and value lies much deeper it lies first in the fundamental current of our social fabric which drives us all even stronger characters than laura into the easiest way a way so very destructive of integrity truth and justice secondly the cruel senseless fatalism conditioned in laura's sex these two features put the universal stamp upon the play and characterize it as one of the strongest dramatic indictments against society the criminal waste of human energy in economic and social conditions drives laura as it drives the average girl to marry any man for a home or as it drives men to endure the worst indignities for a miserable pittance then there is that other respectable institution the fatalism of laura's sex the inevitability of that force is summed up in the following words don't you know that we count no more in the life of these men than tamed animals it's a game and if we don't play our cards well we lose 
woman in the battle with life has but one weapon one commodity sex that alone serves as a trump card in the game of life this blind fatalism has made of woman a parasite an inert thing why then expect perseverance or energy of laura the easiest way is the path mapped out for her from time immemorial she could follow no other a number of other plays could be quoted as characteristic of the growing role of the drama as a disseminator of radical thought suffice to mention the third degree by charles klein the fourth estate by medill patterson a man's world by ida crouchers all pointing to the dawn of dramatic art in america an art which is discovering to the people the terrible diseases of our social body it has been said of old all roads lead to rome in paraphrased application to the tendencies of our day it may truly be said that all roads lead to the great social reconstruction the economic awakening of the workingman and his realization of the necessity for concerted industrial action the tendencies of modern education especially in their application to the free development of the child the spirit of growing unrest expressed through and cultivated by art and literature all pave the way to the open road above all the modern drama operating through the double channel of dramatist and interpreter affecting as it does both mind and heart is the strongest force in developing social discontent swelling the powerful tide of unrest that sweeps onward and over the dam of ignorance prejudice and superstition end of the modern drama a powerful disseminator of radical thought recording by expatriate in bangor maine end of anarchism and other essays by emma goldman